All right, so this structure refers to the units. So political structure, this, this structure, I think that's not where we stopped. Um, so, uh, so this structure also creates this kind of taxing system and regulations to protect investors and support the university's needs and some commission remissions to the investors' government. Yeah, so as I was saying, we're not, we not just building this for fancy, fancy, fancy. We're also building this towards make sure that the university benefits from it, right? So they are going to be, they are going to do taxes. We're going to do taxes. We're going to give the, the university commissions for them to also benefit in the economic value creation that we are involved in, right? So um, this system would also be responsible for managing and allocating the resources required to transform the undergraduate community to a market economy. It will consist of students who are think tank enthusiasts, skilled in the art of policy and engagement with the stakeholders of the university, the host community, national university, and international relations. Chade's business will need to be held accountable to a system of taxes, regulations, and a constitution that directs her dealings as a business leader. So, they are responsible for you know putting in the necessary policies regulations that regulate how um students can build businesses within those um environments so they are the ones to negotiate with um state governments federal governments the local community governments on how to create to make sure that the ecosystem continues to what support that environment right so the next one the legal structure legal structure is a unit of legal enthusiasts committed to implementing the demands of the policies and constitution through the drafting of contracts and compliance of regulations. So these guys are the guys in the faculty of law or just guys who enjoy law, right? Forming that structure where they can create contracts, they can provide legal advice, right? And they don't need to have gone to law school to be able to do this, you understand? They just need to be able to understand, you know, how to, like now, um, you know, most of them have chambers, most of them have um, communities, you understand? So just how do we create intellectual property rights within this small framework, right? So we need to develop our own legal systems, right? Built off the legal systems that already exist, but then can allow students in law and, and legal enthusiasts practice what they already know instead of waiting till, you know, another extensive period in law school before they start making some cool money and all of that, right? So as I said, the major aim of this, is to, of this um, proposition is to create a platform where students can what exchange value, where students can give and get value, right? So you create solutions to people's problems, you get paid for it. That is the simple fundamental idea behind the matrix. So the system is also responsible for the protection of trade secrets, intellectual property, and market positioning against direct and indirect competition, locally, intervarsity, nationally, and internationally. So it's supposed to be an, you know, is ecosystemic. So one law, one legal system in one school partners with another legal system in another school you know, to exchange ideas, you know, have summits, you know, talk about how the, how the legal framework is assisting their outcomes. So Shade would need legal advice, right, to help her understand the business climate, protect her business assets, secure her against the possibility of violations in her business conduct, and in compliance to legal demands drafted by the political structure. The capital structure. Shade has been educated on how she can build a solution to a business she has gotten the professional advice. She has an understanding of the resources accessible to her as an undergraduate solving a problem with economic benefits. And she has gotten the legal advice to help her position her business 
in a healthy and competitive position that will make our investment worthy and attractive to investors. But even though all this has been able to validate the visibility and economic potential of our business, she will need what? She will need capital. So we need a structure where students can help manage capital, right? So capital here would operate according to three systems. Number one, reputation, skill, and investment facilities, either debt or equity, right? Or convertible loans and the rest. So the capital structure is responsible for designing the best investment portfolio benef benef beneficial to investors and business leaders. So what this means is like, you know, they are the ones that define how investors can invest and how to structure the businesses to be investment worthy, as simple as that. I remember these structures are not just solving problem. Don't worry, when, when, when we move on in series, you understand the two parts of the undergraduate community. So the undergraduate community is made up of two, of two classes. There's the innovation class and the economic class. Economic class are the mass of the students who, just, who are not interested in creating anything, who are not interested in doing business. They just want to read their book. They just want to go to class. Then there's the innovation class the my types the one who want to create right but for the for that undergraduate community to work everybody has to partake so you don't like to go to class that's fine there's a space for you here right we'll learn about that during the rest of the series so for people creating this structure they are serving both what's the innovation class and then the economic class let me give you an example let me give you this simple example so in this capital structure right we need a group a group devoted to how can we make sure that students, that once you're a student, you already have access to your own resources instead of graduating with debts on your head? And by debts, meaning that they pay school fees from year one to year four or year six, but you're going out with zero naira. That means there's debt on your head. You know, that's how the American um, educational system is, 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 uh, is created. You know, they have student loans where the government pays for your education and then you get to repay after graduation, right? So even though we don't run it here, the same principle applies to us. So every student, once you graduate, you have debts of your school fees upon your head already, even though you're not the one that paid it. So we need a system where students can invest, even, you know, we know students who can help other students invest. Let me give you an example. So in every university, there's enormous land around. There are people selling land. Why can't some students gather money from different students, help them buy a land, help them sell the land, and share the profit, right? And what will now be beautiful is that this profit will not be given to the students. This profit will be kept for more investment. So this investment will now be used to what? Invest in other people's businesses, and then students cannot access that money until what? They collect their graduation paper pay. They are no longer students. Imagine you have been doing that since your part one. So imagine you have been, you, you, every day, there's, you know, there's one place you can put your money. They'll tell you, just bring 5K. You don't need to put plenty of money. Just bring 5K. Every month you can draw 5K. We'll help you invest it in, in one land property or in one, um, in cryptocurrency or in one other this thing, right? We can lose money, it's fine, right? But our own is that we're devoting our mind, our resources, our efforts to making sure we protect your own capital. Imagine that. So from your part one to your part five, imagine how much you'll be graduating with. You will not even need to look for a job. That is what the capital structure is supposed to be devoted to. That is the kind of system we need in our universities. Right? Wow, this is almost 5.15. Guys, I need to rush. So capital here will operate according to... So I talked about the three types of, of capital we need. Reputation uh, capital, skill capital, and investment facilities. 
Um, so I gave an example here. The capital structure is important for designing the best investment portfolio, beneficial to investors and business leaders. Shade would need reputational capital in terms of the type of investors who would be actively involved in the business, aside providing money. So we don't need, for this kind of model, we don't just need investors who have money. We need investors who have money and know the market and are interested in what they are investing in. So aside from providing money, I will directly validate her brand enough to stimulate the market for her business. So it's a different thing if, so this is what it means. If Shade starts a business and says, hi, my name is Shade, come and buy, come and pay for my service to help, for people to help you buy stuff. It's harder. But if Shim Shagaya, the, the guy who created Konga, comes to your school and says, hi, hello, everybody. I just invested in Shade's startup. Please use a startup. Do you know that half of the whole school would use Shade's um, solution on that very day? So that's the kind of capital we need to build this kind of system. So I said, if Sim Shagaya, who has grown one of the biggest e-commerce businesses in Africa, invests in Shade, more students will love to try out Shade's solution. And it will also inspire people to want to build solutions just like Shade has done. So guys, I'm sorry, please, I just need some extra minutes. This is 5.12. I will not spend more than five or 10 extra minutes, please. Or I will rush up and you know, finish in time, right? Thank you so much. Right, so the finance structure, the finance structure works closely with the capital structure to manage, secure, and allocate this already access capital for Shade. So the finance structure and the capital structure are supposed to work together. While capital structure is securing um, capital, finance structure is what is managing it. Just like the way, so in this place, we just need some, 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 something that operates like a bank, like a student focused bank. Simple. So those guys will help us with what? With credits, debits, with loans you know, and all of those things. So that's what the finance guys are supposed to do. So she can get financial advice, define a capital strategy, define a repayment strategy, and secure a capital with the finance system. So she can open an account, you know, transfer, receive and send money, you know, things like that. So this structure is meant to operate as a custom commercial bank, you know, as I already said it, for creating and managing wealth for undergraduate business leaders, not just for Shade, but for every student. So that's, that, that accounts, yeah? Where, so that account where all your money that has been invested, all the profits will be, will be kept in that one account. In fact, just like the way CarryWise operates, perfect. So imagine you had something like a CarryWise in your, in your campus. They have helped you to invest your money in land. They have sold it. They've made profits, right? They'll just help you put it into, in what? In that account. So in that account, it will be locked. You can see how much you have, but you cannot access it until what? You graduate. Imagine how that would transform the status of every young person that graduates from their university, right? So as I said, it will be managed by students from the finance, you know, either from finance um, communities or finance clubs or finance departments, finance and accounting departments or enthusiasts who have the skills to implement financial strategies that align with the policies already co-designed with the political structure. In Shade's case, she can leverage this for a negotiation against the supplier's bargaining power over vendors and merchants when she needs to access credit or get a loan for bulk purchases. So when these businesses grow, right, she can use that account statement that she has not touched to show what her credit worthiness. There's something in um, financing called credit worthiness. That is how people get loans and so people don't get loans, right? Um, there's a system like that that um, they use. 
right? So last, last, last structure, last but not the least structure is technological structure. This is very easy to understand. So you just have a group of talents who can what adopt technology to Shani's solution. So for Shani's solution, she needs to build a web app and probably a mobile app. So you just have a community of students and technological um, enthusiasts who can help her build the app, build the solution, right? So that she can easily scale. So the technological structure is responsible for designing, developing, and prototyping the technological solutions to drive the solutions being developed in the undergraduate community. The technology, the technology faculty can have different units, ranging from electrical, electronics, engineering, to computer science and engineering. So while computer guys are developing software, electronic, electrical, electronic guys can start developing robots, can start building drones, you know, things like that. Like, I imagine a system where students build drones that help them deliver medical supplies from their, from their units, from their medical units, right, to their hostels. Imagine how much lives will be saved. A lot of students die every year because there's no quick response to their health needs, right? Most, we have health centers who don't know the health status of the whole community. They don't know people are falling sick. They don't even know if people are dying. They don't know the health status. So once you cannot access, once you are not close to health center, your life is at risk. We cannot live life like that. We cannot, we cannot continue to live like that, right? So we need, we need that structure of data science students, data science enthusiasts, you know, software developers, you know, all robotic engineers, you know, those guys sitting down to design solutions for people who want to lead, you know, those things as businesses, you know, in entrepreneurship. So the technology faculty can have different units. Okay, I already said that. So we need those guys ranging from engineering to computer science, committed to developing technological solutions to support the achievement of business objectives. Okay, support the achievement of business objectives, save time, cost, save time, cost, and energy, and drive scalability of the business. The business viable solutions already validated by the other structures. In Shade's case, Shade would need to would need a web development solution to attend to the customer base and other technological innovations for our businesses for our businesses processes while she attends to the vendors and merchants within our logistics teams so imagine she's employing about 100 indigents from the local community she cannot handle that manually she needs tech to help her run that right so back into the article the major conversion with my proposition of this enabling environment through these structures it's about economic power, which is the only real power that can create, fuel, and sustain a transformative economy. The real power that can cause the social change needed to create an enabling environment, an enabling economic environment within the existing edu educative ecosystem within our universities has to be designed for the shift to the democratization of economic power. What democratization of economic power means, power is easily accessible by anyone, anywhere, instead of just being positioned or owned or allocated by just one unitary source. Right, we need to decentralize the power. Everybody should be able to have access to economic power. That's what this system would do. So imagine a platform where students can earn all this kind of value. So if you're a student, you don't like all this entrepreneurship stuff, you just want to read your book, right? You are still getting wealthy because once you can put your money in this structure, you know that what you know you have access to to prosperity. You know, you know money is just piling up for you. All you just need to do is graduate, and then you can access the accounts and withdraw. The money anytime. So the capacity for people to be well equipped to explore the opportunities compared to the current economic environment because it provides, okay, sorry. So I said 
the root power can cause that can cause real change needed to create an enabling economic environment within the existing educational ecosystem within our universities has to be designed for the shift to democratization of economic power. That means the capacity for people to be well equipped to explore their opportunities compared to the current economic environment where people are handed what kind of opportunities they can explore based on already defined variables of outcomes. So that, is, that, that simply means that we don't need any system anymore where because you studied law, you'll be treated differently because somebody else studied Yoruba engineering, right? <laughs> I always like to say Yoruba engineering. So we don't need those kind of systems. It's not inclusive enough, right? So we need everybody to be treated equally or not, not equally per se, but equitably. I think that's a better word because equality is, um, let me not start the argument. So we need an, a system that supports equity, right? Where everybody um, feels included and um, taken care taken care of. So this, is, this environment is defined as an enabling environment because it provides a platform for undergraduates to create share and exchange value in forms of goods, skills, and services that earn them economic power to create wealth and explore opportunities that align with their ambitions and existential realities. The infrastructure and utility structure is the bridge between this enabling environment and its potential and its growth potential as discussed below. So as I said, all of these structures need to still be hosted within good infrastructure and utilities. The same problem Nigeria has where there's no good light and power also is still going to be a problem if we have all these sweet structures and there's no light. <laughs> we have all these good structures and there are no good roads, right? We have all these good structures and then we don't have um, access to good water or any of those things. So infrastructure and utilities are still a major part of this, right? And how we we'll solve this, remember our taxing system is that We'll, we'll drive this through what our internally generated revenue. So imagine you build businesses, right, in this environment, right? You'll be taxed, right? And it's your tax that, that will be used to create all this. So imagine a student-funded internet provider, right? Funded by students to always have access to Wi-Fi. That is an amazing world to live in. And, I'm, and I promise myself I'm going to work very hard to make that a reality right? Students have so much power, they don't even know. Right? So, this is a very essential structure needed within the ecosystem, but it's not, direct, it's not directly, it's not a direct responsibility of the undergraduate community until the taxing system and other internally generated revenue resources are consolidated to maintain the already existing infrastructures and utilities provided by the university. So, as I said before, right, I'm creating a system totally independent of the university government. We don't need their money. We don't need anything. Let them just allow us to do what we want. That's why this proposition is designed this way. So we will even be giving them money instead. It's like I said, we are paying them tax for doing what we do. Right? But this tax will be used for our mutual benefit. So they can put it, they can do corruption, it's fine. They can pocket it, it's fine. Just make sure that we will have access to light. We have access to good environments. Everywhere is clean. We have water. So that we can do our work, exchange money, and be happy. That's what we are, we are saying, right? That's what I mean by, by, internet, by that, right? So Shade's taxes grant her access to a road network that reduces the cost of transporting. So build good roads for us, right? That reduces the cost of transporting our goods and also reduces our business cost. When she has enough capital, so she will not have to be thinking of how to be repairing bike and car all the time, right? She has enough capital to get goods directly from the school's farm, right? When she's doing more volume, sorry, excuse me. Mm. 
So Ataxis also grants her the right to access a workspace, business resource library, and power to ensure that she can keep up with her daily operational needs as an undergraduate building a business that profits her university. So as we can observe through the piece, my proposed economic engine is to be built independent of the state or federal government. This is because through history, we have been shown that innovation always precedes regulation. And in a peculiar environment like ours, regulations haven't been very pro-innovative. That is why the regulations are to be managed by the government system most proximal to these structures, i.e. the political structure and the university administration. Those are the only two people that need to work on this uh, goal of, of uh, utilities and, and, the, and infrastructure. So the major confluence between the state or federal government and this ecosystem is a partnership with the university administration to achieve these three objectives. Provide and allocate resources in, in, in international relationships and funds to incentivize business leadership for business leaders and social innovators. Create an, uh, B, create an enabling environment through state pro-university policies that incentivize creators and protect investors. Right? So, um, you know, this one talks about, you know, rise of institutions, right? Like what we'll be talking about uh, in tomorrow's session, series four, the rise of institutions. So the way... Um, Banks have NDIC, right? To ensure banks against capital loss. So that is where we we'll need federal government, you know, to assist us, right? So that they can protect um, our assets and give investors more confidence to invest in what we are doing, right? So by giving power to the university structures and institutions to create our own ecosystem through licenses. So government should give us license to do these things, regulations and other authority facilities to democratize power, right? Who keeps doing this on the screen? Let me, there's no more time. Number C, provide the required infrastructural resource to sustain the ecosystem after enabling environment has been created, e.g. good road for the moving of goods created, power and security, right? So those are the things that we need within this enabling environment, right? So to round up, the next piece in this series, the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa Series 4, discusses the next stage of development, which is the rise of institutions. The rise of institutions refers to the relationship between the seven structures and the other variables mentioned to create and drive this enabling environment for business leadership to thrive. And the archetypal three Ps, which are projects, platforms, projects or platforms, policies, people, or partnerships required to sustain this environment through the stages of development, indicative of a transformative economy. So there's a call to action, right? Just like the example I gave in this piece, um, Shall This Shop and Stop, outline something like this with an idea tree or brief description, then break the process down into seven stages. I'd like to know how, I'd like to know the impact of an enabling environment on an idea you have. Please share in the comment section. So the call to action is think of a business idea like I just did with Shadi, right? And then break it down according to this these um, structures that I've discussed with you in the enabling environment. I would like to know in the comment section, right? So that um, I, can, I can understand that you know what we have spoken about. So this is 5.30. I'm so, much, I'm so sorry for taking extra time. Um, we've come to the end of today's session. Thank you so much for spending and giving me this extra time. Um, it was another great session with you guys. Adios. Good afternoon, um, once again, good evening. 
good anytime you're listening to this. It's so exciting to have you on today's session. Today's session is going to be the other half of series three. So um, a lot of people have been asking me, are we not supposed to have series four today? No, we're having series three, The Matrix. So series three is the only piece in the project that, is, that has a twin um, um, version, right? So we have series three, The Case, and series three, The Matrix. And that is what we're going to be having today. So I'm going to quickly share my screen. And we're going to jump right in. Don't forget to share your energy. Let us know where you are listening in from. Um, we have leaders from all over Nigeria on this call. And it is an exciting time to share again our vision of the future. Right? Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in identifying problems. But I'm a bigger believer in proposing solutions to the problem. Um, those who have worked with me before know that there's one thing I say. I tell them, yes, I know that you know this problem, but don't come to me to me with problems. Come to me with the problem and a proposed solution. So um, series three is my proposed solution to all of the dysfunction that I've been analyzing since series one and series two of the Venture Matrix of the Future of Africa project, right? So today we're talking about the metrics, right? So the matrix is coined from the project itself, which is the venture matrix, which is um, how do we create in a, a system independent of the existing system, but betters the, the, the system that is already existing. So it's like, if you have, um, let's say beautiful, it's just like saying, if you have a big house already existing, how do you create more rooms within that house to make sure that we can house more people and do more stuff. That is basically the concept that we're trying to run with here, right? So that is why it is called series three, the matrix. So in the other series, the case, we were developing, analyzing, you know, evaluating what is the economic case for this problem? Why do we need to solve this problem? And why do we need to solve it this way, right? Is there anyone solving the problem like this already? And is there any way we can learn from that and then adopt it into our own context so that is what last um, the last series series three the case was about and this series is about a proposed design so this is actually a design approach to solving the problem is um is what they call um human human thing um human wow what's what's this stuff now design thinking yes so this is a design thinking approach to how i think we can solve the problem so we're going to jump right into the article, The Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa. So let me know your expectations in the comment section. Share your energy. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know what you're looking forward to learning. I want to know how you are experiencing it on your end of the world, right? So what inspired this piece is that I feel like the biggest disservice that was done to our generation was just this one question. Remember the power of questions that we discussed in series is series one or series two yeah no series two we discussed the power of questions and questioning the norm in series two right there's this one question that every every all of us were asked right if you're on this call i'm sure you were asked if you're a nigerian or even probably an african in this age we're probably asked that question and that question was what do you want to be when you grow up i feel that 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 one question as it did this generation a disservice and this is why the right question would have been, 
what do you what are you passionate about what, what what problem are you passionate about solving or what problem do you think excites you enough that you want to take it on and solve now the first question which is what do you want to become when you grow up already limits you to the existing um, options that you already have so if you notice when you're younger you say i want to be a doctor because most times you go to the hospital you see doctors right doctors look like the life that you wanted to have unknown to you that before doctors were existing something existed before doctors which is what a need for medicine and healing and people decided to solve problems and it became what we have today as medicine right so we have lost that fundamental connection to the root cause and root inspiration of what we have as our world today which is the passion for solving problems right based on what you're interested in so please if you're on this call in the future when you start having kids don't ask them what they want to become when they grow up introduce them and expose them to the nature of the world allow them to understand the nature of problems in the world and look at what excites them that they want to devote their time their energy and their resources to solving that is how we can build the future so that one question as simple and as you know as 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 normal as it seems you know this did us a discredit in this our generation so we need a new generation of leaders who are passionate about solving problems who are passionate about creating who they they become by the kind of problems they can solve and not just by aspirations and self-interest you know i want to become a doctor i want to become a lawyer i want to become a, a, a i want to become an astronaut no 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 no. look for a problem you are excited about if no now don't as i said please don't take my 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 comments as controversial or as antagonistic right i'm not saying being a lawyer or a doctor is bad but i'm saying let us connect to the root cause right when before you become a doctor ask yourself what kind of problems in medicine and health do i want to solve is it the problem for kids so you can focus on pediatrics do you understand or do you want to to solve um do you want to be a surgeon you want to help people you know commend and and manage their anatomy and all of those things when you devote yourself to problems that is how you actually develop and define the future so that is one discredit that we need to you know shake ourselves from so let's jump right into the article right it was the year 2005. I must have been 10 years old when a conversation between me and my dad became the catalyst that I would like to ascribe to this piece. You know, this piece is about creating that enabling environment that we discussed in series two, right? So this is a proposed, so that is why in this first paragraph, I try to enlighten the reader on my understanding of environment because at every point in my life, I have had to change environments different types of environments for one reason or the other, right? So just read with me. So I had, I, had I, had, I had just had a rich dad, poor dad moment with my dad. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a book by um, Robert Kiyosaki, right? Um, it's one of the favorite all-time known books of this generation about financial intelligence, right? So I was making a reference to that, that I had that kind of moment because in the story, um, he had two mentors. One was his, was his dad, who was who was not very rich, and then another was uh, a mentor who was very rich. And then you know he called both of them his dad. So his dad was a poor dad. His mentor was a rich dad. So he told about a He told the story about a conversation he had with his rich dad, um, and that is what I used as a reference in this piece, right? So 
I had just had a rich, rich dad, poor dad moment with my dad while in front of the passenger seat of his new car as we drove to our new house in Agbara Residential Estate. So it was a period where my dad had hustled really hard. He had gotten a new car. It was um, a Hyundai Jeep, I think, at the time. And he had just moved us to a new house, right? So it was a defining moment for me because we're changing both economic environments and physical environments at the same time. So he had asked me about what I wanted to become. He also, you know, he also asked me that question, right? He asked me what I wanted to become. And I told him I wanted to be rich, like his friend, Mr. Adisa. You know, so he had a friend called Mr. Adisa, who was a colleague at, at work. He was living on the estate we were moving into and he had this really big house. So to, to, in my mind, Mr. Adisa was a definition, definition of prosperity and wealth and, and rich because even his, his children were my friends. And I remember, you know, we used to go to the, I used to want to go to the house all the time because they had all the latest games. I remember playing Tekken in, in their house. I remember playing um, FIFA Street. I used to really like games. So I always look forward to going to the Adisa's house because, you know, they always had the latest games and all of that. So um, he asked me what I wanted to become. And I told him I wanted to be rich like his friend, Mr. Adisa who owned a house on the estate we're moving into and also happened to be a colleague at work. Now, what he said changed my thinking. So, as I said, I've always been privileged to have been exposed to the right things, to have been exposed to the right people. So, even though my dad made that same, um, I don't want to call it a mistake, or that same, um, that same generational blunder, right? He still had a different form of thinking. He's one of those dads that he believes in independence. He believes in, in self-autonomy. He believes in responsibility for one's life. That is all he has taught me in my life. And, you know, that's one of the things I embrace in today. Right? Um, so he had asked me about what I wanted to become. And I told him I wanted to be rich like his friend, Mr. Adisa, who owned a house on the estate. Um, we were moving into and also happened to be a colleague at work. Please, I don't understand these markings on my screen. Who keeps doing that? Please, if you are the one, please um, mind that, right? So let me get back to it. What he said changed my thinking when he pointed out the, win when he pointed out the window as we drove past the houses of the estate and stumbled on Mr. Adisa's house. And he says, men who build houses like that know how to solve problems and exploit opportunities by doing business but the opportunity that you can exploit is greatly dependent on the type of environment and that's why i worked hard for us to move from odon agbara to agbara estate ogun state now what happened here is my dad grew up in a very in a relatively poor um family right he had a dad who was um a boss he, he was a he owned a boss so he was one of those guys who, who drove buses, had conductors and the rest, right? And then he also married two wives and had seven kids with one wife and had eight kids with, with another wife. And my dad was uh, from the other wife, right? And they were all camped in the same house in a remote location in Ajegunle. So my dad grew up in Ajegunle under, the worst, under some of the worst um, conditions, right? So that is why he was making these comments about environment because he had, he had, he had worked really hard to build a life from himself outside of the environment that he grew up, up, um, up under. Please, I don't understand these markings on my screen. I really don't get it. Can someone help me here? I don't want to be distracted, please. All right, so that's why I have the picture of my dad um, to symbolize that story. It's one, of the, it's one of my biggest inspirations, right? So it's been 15 years, 
and I've been privileged to see the reality of that conversation, of that conversation, owing to being the firstborn of a family of six. Yes, yeah, so I have um, three other amazing siblings. I'm the firstborn. Um, I have three other amazing siblings, um, and then my father and my mother. So that's that's what makes a family of six. But I'm the firstborn, right? So I've enjoyed being led by a father committed to growing a family within an environment that we can call better. He's a dreamer who I witnessed grow his family from two rooms in a face me, I face you. Yes. Yeah, so I once lived in a face me, I face you house that we, we later moved into a five room duplex apartment in the same neighborhood and then a house in the high end area of the same community. So I, I was part of, you know, growing of the growth process, you know, starting from, started from the bottom. Now we hear that kind of thing, right? So I witnessed firsthand the influence of environments on what to become on what we became as a family. So I saw my, my family get more exposed as we changed environments. You know, my siblings were, were, were evolving really good. Uh, my, dad, my dad started traveling out of the country, became a totally different person from who I knew him. You know, like now, uh, when we were younger, right, he used to instill discipline and, and um, he used to, he used to, he used to, he used to um, punish us with koboko. You know all those koboko with plenty, <laughs> plenty strips. Yeah, my dad used to wipe us with that. You cannot be playing ball in the evenings instead of reading your book. And I, used, I really loved playing ball that time. So I used to play ball. Once I hear my dad on from far away, I will run up. So, but then my, my dad evolves to become someone that negotiates with us now. So he, he doesn't tell us what to do. He negotiates. He says, oh, this is how I feel. You should do something. And I think you can take it or not. Right? So he evolved, he got more exposed. So I saw the influence of environments on how my parents were changing, how my siblings were changing, my friends were changing and all of that, right? So I know the power of environments on the outcomes of people, right? So um, that's why I said, I witnessed firsthand the influence of environments on what, we be, on what we became as a family, most especially the transitions of my siblings within these environments. These differences were most evident in areas like schooling, which exposed me to the difference in reality between an environment and an enabling environment. So there's a difference between an environment and an enabling environment. As I switched from Arise and Shine Primary School, or Don, Agbara, to Damtops Primary and Secondary School, Morogbo, and then switched from Commande Secondary School, or Job Barracks. Yes, I was in a military school. I so missed that, right? I switched from Commande Secondary School, or Job Barracks, to Federal Government College, Janiki, Lagos. As my dad eased off his desire for me to grow within a military environment, when he started feeling like he was being treated like a bloody civilian in his own house. So I, I spent only, I think, one term or two terms at Command Day Secondary School uh, or Job Barracks, and I was already behaving like a soldier, right? I was shouting at my dad. I was overly confident. I felt very, you know, I felt very military. I felt every other person was a, was a civilian. You can't talk to me anyhow. You know, I was very small, but I was commanding a lot of, you know, a lot of braggados, you know. <laughs> I was very, I was a very tough character during that time. You know, just one, so just one, just one semester, just one term, one term, which was like two months or three months, I had spent under a military environment. I was already behaving like a soldier, right? That's the influence and power of environment, right? It's just like this same story of Tarzan. You know, if you know the story of Tarzan, you'll be able to connect to this power of environment. So the story of Tarzan was um, a, a child who was left you know, the same story of Tarzan and Mowgli, right? Children who were born in the jungle and then grew up to start behaving like apes, right? They were human beings, 
but they were behaving like apes because they were in what in a jungle environment. So environment is really powerful, right? In fact, in psychology, there's something we call the nature versus nurture argument. It is still existing to, to, to today. That which 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 variable right most impacts the outcome of every individual in the society? Is it nurture or nature? I am of the belief that it is nurture, right? Some people believe it's the nature that the nature of everything will always still find itself, right? But I believe with enough nurture, with with principles like conditioning and all of that, you can actually um, twist that conversation. So, um, in his own house. So, I had already transformed into the character of a cadet with constant yelling matches and autonomy by the end of my first term there. He would laugh when he reads this. So, my dad was already complaining, like, ah, can you Just small time you spent in military school. Like, I was shouting, as in, I would have yelling matches with my dad. My dad would be calling me and I'll be telling him I'm busy, like I'm doing something and I'll be shouting, right? And all of that. So it was like, no, 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 this cannot happen. You know, you're in my house, you're still under my rules. I still don't understand these markings on my screen. What's, what is going on? Please, I'm going to stop sharing and then, and then I'll start sharing again. I don't know who keeps marking my screens. All right, awesome. So. That is why, if you notice in the piece, um, there is an image of sharks in a, in a fish bowl. So if you, you, can't, you can't experience the fullness of the shark in the environment of a fish bowl because the fish bowl was not designed to host the capacity of a shark, right? So that's why this image is illustrating this, you know, putting, putting sharks in a fish bowl it is the wrong environment, right? In fact, according to some um, research, right, if you put um, a shark inside a fish bowl or an aquarium, right, it limits how much the shark can grow, right? Compared to leaving the shark in the ocean, it grows, you know, by, by a very substantial amount in size, in, in strength, and in, in health, right? So that's the power of, 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 of environment. So that's why we need to focus on creating an environment. Talking, still talking about environments. That's why we have aquatic animals, right? So those animals are defined by their environment, right? We have terrestrial animals, right? Where the environment defines, you know, the capacity of, 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 that, um, of that entity. So let's get back into, you know, as I, today, is, today is very long. Um, this is very long, so I need to, to read it really fast. So as we to our discourse, an environment is an active relationship between the tangible and intangible resources that define, number one, the quality, and number two, the quantity of opportunity that can be accessed according to the speed, scope, and size of change happening per time intervals within an ecosystem. Right? Let me take that again. I know it's a mouthful, but it's really simple to understand. An environment is an active relationship between the tangible the things you can see and hold, and the intangible resources, the things that you can't see and hold, that define, number one, the quality, and number two, the quantity of opportunity that can be assessed according to the speed, scope. Speed means, you know, how fast. Scope means how wide. And size means how big. So, access according to the speed, scope, and size of change happening per time intervals within an ecosystem. So, Every environment is always hosted within an ecosystem. So for terrestrial animals, right, human beings are just players within an ecosystem, 
hosting what that environment, right? So there are two interchangeable um, concepts, right? The concept of an ecosystem and the concept of an environment. An environment cannot survive without an ecosystem. Every environment has an ecosystem. Do you understand? So it's just like your house. Your house is the house that you and your parents live in, right? Is an environment. But the ecosystem is the realest, is the is the estate that your house is placed, is the community that your house is placed. So your house cannot exist without that estate. Please, if you understand what I'm saying, I need to see your comments in the chat section saying wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Go, 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 go. If you understand what I'm saying, I need to see that so that I can know that you are following me. Can I see those comments in the comment section? Tell me wisdom, wisdom. Go, 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 go. Okay, okay. People are understanding. Okay, awesome, awesome. Right? So I put in the bracket saying an ecosystem is the host of this environment and is a result between... So the difference between an environment and an ecosystem is that an ecosystem is the interaction of different environments working together towards what? an outcome, right? So an ecosystem is the host of this environment and is a result between the interaction of all dimensioned variables towards achieving the purpose designed for the environment. If you still don't understand um, this up to up till now, don't worry, you understand it later. So these tangible assets that define an environment are systems and structures or what you know as infrastructures, resources, and people while the intangible assets are culture, you know, value systems, um, 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 competencies, you know, skills, you know, those kind of intangible stuff are the things that define um, 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 the intangible aspects of an environment. However, an enabling environment, right? So that we have, we, now we understand what an environment is. Do you understand? So however, an, environment, an, an enabling environment is an environment designed. So this one is designed specifically. This one is designed deliberately. This one is designed consciously. According to what? A purpose. So it's not just, uh, it's not just an environment or a set of, it's not just a set of, 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 of intangible and tangible things just operating just for survival and existence or coexistence. No, no, no. This one is, is, is designed according to a purpose that adopts and adapts to what? To change, hosted within the ecosystem. Like in this case, for the venture matrix, the value creation ecosystem. Do you understand? Let's move on. To assist the understanding of this difference, let's define the environment of my alma mater, Obafemi Awolowo University, Ileife. It is designed as a learning environment with a purpose to establish literacy, numeracy, and scholarly competence within a scholastic and educative works ecosystem. So here, we can see that learning is the environment. The focus of the environment is on what? On learning, while education is the ecosystem. Don't worry, it will, it will, get, it will get simpler when we go as, as, we, as we read on. So the quality and quantities of opportunities available within that environment is for learning. And it grants you access to intelligent lecturers. You know, so I'm listing the tangible and intangible systems that make the environment, you know, sustainable. What that makes the environment come alive, that makes up the environment. So in that learning environment, you have what intelligent lecturers, you have an administrative system, the admin allocating resources to this cause, you have a competitive grading system and curriculum. 
you have a community of some of the brightest minds. You have learning resources like the library, right? You have power supply. You have good road networks. You have hostels with reading rooms and cafeterias to attend to your welfare needs so that when you finish from class, you can still go to your hostel and continue reading. You have architectural designs that facilitate a conducive learning experience. So you have designs of architecture, you know, that makes the, the environment uh, um, cozy, you know. When there is sun, the heat will not be too much. Um, when it's raining, the cold will not be too much. You know, those kind of things. Those are the things that facilitate that learning environment, right? So and architectural designs that facilitate a conducive learning experience and, and, the sort, and all of those sorts within the ecosystem. So it is even evident in the school's motto that yells for learning and culture, nothing more, nothing less. This environment, however, wasn't designed to adopt or adapt to change, even if it's in its primary purpose of learning and culture. Because fundamentally, the tangible and intangible assets birthing that environment are not hosted within an ecosystem that can sustain the desired outcomes. Now, what this simply means, what I was saying in that whole paragraph is that after understanding what an, an, uh, what an environment is and what an enabling environment is, I now bring to fore the context of the venture matrix of, uh, for the future of Africa by analyzing the environment of Obafemi Awolowo University, just like any other university across Nigeria. Every university across Nigeria and Africa is, is designed for what? For learning, for education. So that is why the environment is a learning environment. It's easy to learn under that kind of environment because what? It has been designed for that purpose and that purpose alone. Right? But then the ecosystem being all the things that contribute to your university, like the Ministry of Education, the policies, the state government's allocation of, of, of of budget, sorry, the federal government allocation of budget to education in Nigeria, the quality and competency of lecturers, all of those factors make what? The ecosystem. So I hope it's, it's clearer now, right? If, if, it's, if you understand it and it's clear to you, tell me, go, 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 go. You understand, right? Let me know in the comment section. So that is what it means, right? So I was listening at here, the things that make your learning environment, right, an ecosystem, for education. So education is the ecosystem, right? Education involves every stakeholder, right, in the education value chain. That includes, so your education, um, so your education ecosystem involves what? Your parents, because they're the ones paying the fee, right? The government, even down to your employers, the people employing labor. Those people make up what? The education ecosystem. But the learning environment is what? Your university. So you need to understand that difference, right? So I'm saying that for every university in, in Nigeria, across, across, um, across Nigeria and even Africa, most of them are designed for what? For a sociopolitical purpose of education. Someone is marking again. I don't know who's doing this and I don't know how to stop it. We don't have time. I don't know why people keep doing this. Okay, so as I was saying, right, um, that's what I was saying in that place, right? And now we want to discuss why is it, why is the ecosystem dysfunction 
Why is there an ecosystemic dysfunction? So I listed three things here. So the, eco the ecosystemic dysfunctions can be ascribed to, number one, the environment was designed independent of the people, the undergraduates it was created for. So when they were designing the university system, right, they didn't have undergraduates involved in that, right? People, just parents, you know, most times, most of us were made, the decision to go to university, all of those things, decisions were made by what? Our parents for us. Or even if they were not made for us by our parents, our parents largely influenced it, right? That is why in your, your, that's why your polytechnic is different from your university. That is why your, your college of education is different from your university. That's why those differences, right? It was designed independent of who it was being designed for. And that is a problem that most people creating solutions in Africa have. They create in a bubble. They don't create inclusive of the people that they are creating for. So for everyone who is going to build a business here or is going to lead a team, don't build solutions in a, in, a, in a bubble. The people that you are building it for, ask them questions. Get them in the conversation. Get them in a room. Ask them questions. Okay, I want to build a, an app for you that helps you make money, right? How do you currently make money? How do you enjoy making money? What time of the day do you enjoy making money? Get, inform, get them involved so that you can design a system that is what? Sustainable and what? Inclusive. So that is one fundamental dysfunction with our educational ecosystem, right? They don't understand millennials, right? They don't understand how millennials like to learn. By now, with the way millennials consume content over video, audio, and audiovisual, our classes should be online. Our classes should be digitally. They should make Wi-Fi and internet more accessible for young people so that learning can be what? More conducive. So they don't design these systems according to us. They just design it and expect it to what? To last and it can't, it can't work like that. That is why our school system, our educational ecosystem is failing so, so sadly, right? So the second reason is, like I said in, in, um, in series two and, and series one, there's the existence of a generation gap between the stakeholders within that environment that creates a Tower of Babel reality because everyone is speaking a different language. So Tower of Babel is one very famous story in the Bible where, um, the first group of people, right, were trying to create um, a tower that could reach heaven, right? But um, they lost the ability to communicate because most of them were speaking, all of them started speaking different languages, right? That is what is happening with the generational gap. Your old people see education in a way and young people see education in another way. So we are speaking different languages. That is why the educational system looks like what it is. That's why students are losing interest in going to, in, in, the, in education, every single day they are not speaking our language and we're not speaking their language right you know let there's still lecturers that believe that you have to fall sick before you get an a i don't know what kind of uh, myopic what kind of sad thinking is that there are some there are some of them that still believe that you cannot pass their course if you don't come to their class like you can't i don't understand you know very backward thinking you know so those, those kind of thinkings you know a resultant of the generation gap. There's a way they, they did it, so they feel that's the way you should do it. They are not taking cognizance of the changes happening in their world, and that is the thing that is causing a dysfunction in our educational system. Number three, there is no vision or defined route of action for driving a coalition between the stakeholders within that environment, and this is very powerful. If I ask any student in any university, so why, did I, why are you in OU? Why are you in FUTA? Why did you go to FUTA? Everybody will say something different, and that is a problem. It's still a Tower of Babel problem. 
every university is supposed to have a vision. You understand? Harvard University has a defined vision that defines how they build their school, that defines how they build their systems. They want to create a community of intellectuals that can change the world. That is how they are able to do Harvard Business School. That's how they are able to do Harvard Law School. Because they have what a vision that everybody in the school as students are aware of. Do you understand? But we don't have that in our universities across um, Nigeria and Africa. Even where we have it, it's not sustained. It's not a cultural thing. It's just a thing that you just say with your mouth from your prospectus. And, you know, <laughs> things don't, um, you, can't, you can't grow an ecosystem that will be healthy that way. Right? So just to buttress that point, there is no vision or defined route of action for driving a coalition between the stakeholders within that environment Within that environment. That's why most, if you notice, there's something that's consistent across our universities. Every time across our universities, every time SUG always has problem with admin. It is a, is a constant thing. <laughs> and that, and then that is because they have not learned to negotiate compromise, right? Students want one thing and admin wants one thing. And it's not the fault of the admin, actually. It's because what? The ecosystem itself is dysfunctional because people in admin are working according to what? They are partisan or non-partisan politics. You understand? They are being directed by the Ministry of Education. They are being influenced by the presiding power in the country. So their hands are also tied. So we cannot, we cannot leave, we cannot build anything that way. Right? So what I was saying is students want something because the interface, it is students that interface with these changes going on daily. While the admin and lecturers want something else because they have invested most of their time in attaining this reality, so they are resistant to change because it seems like it threats to all the resources they have invested as time and effort. So what I'm trying to say this is, because the lecturer feels he spent 30 years before getting to where he is, it feels like you two must spend 30 years to do what you want to do. Do you understand? And that is, a, that is the reason why they behave the way they behave. Like they, 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 they feel threatened that one guy will just spend some years and get a PhD or get a get a, a great degree when they spent more time, more resources. You know, you know, one, one excuse they always give is, you know, during our time, we had to go to the library and read all the books. There was no Google. So they feel like you too. You must read all the books and all the textbooks before you can pass. And you know, such kind of thinking is not is 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 unnecessary, honestly. All right, so moving back into the article, the Venture Matrix of the Future of Africa series three, the case, which was the last one. In, the, in, the venture, in, that, in that one, we reference Stanford University as a case study and its influence on California's economy and the economy of the U.S. So we'll round this up with that reference. I enjoy writing this piece because, you know, it was very practical. I enjoyed the storytelling that I really used in this piece, right? So the Obafemi Awolo University case is like the Stanford University case, only that it doesn't have an ecosystem that supports multiple enabling environments such as the economic so that's the ecosystem of Stanford. So what makes Stanford different from Obafemi Awolowo University, which we're using as the case study here, is that currently Stanford has different environments within the same ecosystem, right? So Stanford has an ecosystem for value creation and has another ecosystem for academic and scholarly competence. But in our universities in Africa and, and um, Nigeria, we just have environments for just... Um, scholarly competence and academics, right? And that is not actually sustainable in the kind of future that we are going to have, right? So the Obafemi Awolowo University case 
It's like the Stanford University case, only that it doesn't have an ecosystem that supports multiple enabling um, environments, such as the ecos ecosystem of Stanford. Stanford University is hosted within, a, within an ecosystem. Eco, um, so, yes, so Stanford University is hosted within an economic ecosystem, as it should be. Every ecosystem, right, for, for that exists today actually was built on economics, right? When the Carnegie's, the Henry Ford's, when they were building big businesses, right? That is when they started influencing the development of courses in universities, you know, industrial chemistry, industrial physics, um, all, all of those things. Because industry, industrialization was the economic concept of that time, right? So schools are supposed to be designed for economic purposes, not sociopolitical, not just for, hey, we are building schools. No, 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 no. It's supposed to be built on economics on economic ecosystems. That's what Stanford University and the rest are getting right that we don't. So Stanford University is hosted within an economic ecosystem as it should be, instead of an educational system. And that's how they can adopt and adapt to change. That's how they are able to change very fast. The institution is capacitated to host as many enabling environments designed to align with its economic interests. So that's all I was trying to explain in that um, in that, um, in that paragraph. Back into the article. The venture matrix for the future of Africa is being developed to address this ecosystemic dysfunction. So it's, an eco it's not just um, a university that has, that has a dysfunction, it's the ecosystem itself, right? So the venture matrix for the future of Africa is being developed to address this eco ecosystemic dysfunction of our tertiary institutions across Nigeria and Africa. The scope, size, and wave of change as at the third industrial revolution demanded that tertiary institutions morph, you know, transform into an economic and socioeconomic engine to survive the coming decades of change, rather than the socio-political framework for which it was designed by the aristocrats, right? I've explained this, right? So most of our schools are just, are just built for socio-political reasons instead of socio-economical and economic reasons, right? We need to change that model. So the tertiary institutions hosting their undergraduate communities need to redesign their ecosystem to be economic and also design an enabling environment for value creation. So what we need is an ecosystem, right? An economic ecosystem and enabling environment for value creation. That is the, that is the design being proposed by the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa, right? So the tertiary institutions Hosting the undergraduate communities need to redesign their ecosystem to be economic and also design an enabling environment for value creation rather than just scholarly competence. This is easier said than done and comes at a great cost with the almost impossible requirement of an overhaul of our current political and educational systems. Right? So what I'm trying to say is with the amount of dysfunction going on, if we want to do, if we want to actually do anything, we need to dismantle everything and build afresh, but that is the cost of that is grave, right? So instead, we can do an alternative and build what an ad hoc system to what we already have as our tertiary um, institution and our ecosystem, right? So the venture matrix of the future of Africa has been developed to discuss what an alternative. The matrix will still be discussed further. Will be further discussed with Obafemi Awonobo University Ilefe as a model. So throughout. The remaining series of World University is um, the case reference, right? 
And just to bring to your to your remembrance, we're discussing enabling environments in the in the matrix because of the eight stages of development we talked about in series one. Sorry, in series two, right? So from here onward, we'll discuss the remaining parts, the remaining uh, parts of that stages of development, right? So I did when in 2017 I started doing my research. What does it mean to create an enabling environment for entrepreneurship and business, right? So I did my study and this is what I found, right? I found out that um, we need seven, we actually need eight um, systems, eight structures working interchangeably for them to function to create an enabling environment, right? So this is what we have in this image here. The first is what an educational structure, a professional structure, a political structure, a legal structure, a capital structure, a financial structure, a technological structure, and then infrastructure and utilities. Infrastructure and utilities just means power, light, Wi-Fi, um, internet, you know, all of those, all of those things. Water, clean water, uh, and all of that. So back into the article. Wow, time is fast spent. We already have um, this is 4:45. Okay, we have about 30 more minutes. So the venture matrix I'm proposing identifies the already existing resources that are essential to creating an enabling environment. So the approach was to be innovative rather than creative. So I didn't think of creating something totally new. I just thought of creating something new from something that already exists. So this is a proposition of the, of the design for an enabling environment designed for students by students towards the acquisition of economic power and autonomy. So creating an enabling environment for the value cre for value creation in this economic model would require seven structures or eight structures as I, I clearly as I clarified three dominant values now these three dominant values I purposely left it out of this article because it will be extensively discussed in the book to be published in September in, in possibly the last week of September so I'm going to be publishing a book based on this project um, in the last week of September so in that book I will discuss the three dominant values right? So creating an enabling environment for value creation in this economic model would require seven structures, three dominant values, the undergraduate community, and other stakeholders within the value chain. Then we we'll also now add what the archetypal three P's mentioned in series two, which are what projects and platforms, policies, and then partnerships. So this, env this environment needs to be designed to equip undergraduates, undergraduates with the tools competence and resources for business leadership and entrepreneurship for the creation of global solutions to their local problems. So during my research, these seven structures, according to the order of development, aside infrastructure and utility, um, sorry, this, during my research, these seven structures, according to the order of development, aside infrastructure and utility required, required are number one. So to create these structures, right, we first need an educational structure. Then we need to now create a professional structure. Then we need to now create a political structure. Then we now create a legal structure. We now create a capital structure. We now create a finance structure. And we now create what? A technological structure. Now, what I've been saying so far just means that these are the seven things we need, right? In our universities for, to convert our universities to an economic engine, to an enabling environment. And it's very simple, right? And I'm going to make it as easy as ABC for you. Number one, we have education departments. What are they doing? 
we have the faculty um, of uh, we have faculties that host business administration. What are they doing to solve local problems? We have political structure, right? For students studying political science in the faculty of social sciences, what problems are they solving? We have the faculty of law. What are the students in the faculty of law doing in their universities? Right? We have students studying finance and capital. What are they doing? We have students in, in finance. We have students in computer in technology, right? Who can develop solutions. So what I'm proposing is in the schools that we have right now, we need structures where students can profess solutions to other students trying to build solutions to problems. As simple as ABC, right? We need to create a platform where students can exchange value. That is simply what I'm saying here through these structures. We need students, we need an environment where students can earn money. So imagine a university system where students are solving each other's problems and paying each other for it even before they get a job outside university, even before they get internships. Let me give you an example, right, before we go into the article. For most of you in Unilag, right, you are used to getting internships with KPMG, Accenture, and the likes. Imagine there was a structure in your school that once you finish your internship with KPMG, you can apply what you have learned by what? Consulting on student businesses in your school. Why is that not done? Imagine you're, you're a political enthusiast. You like politics, right? And you're a student of, even if you're not a student of political science, but you can offer value in the areas of politics. Why is there no structure for you to be able to negotiate political interest of your university in that same environment? So that is what I'm proposing, right? We're out of time, so I'm going to quickly run through this and then do a roundup. So to understand how these structures would function within an economic ecosystem, we would be going on a journey with Shade. So as I said, I really love how this piece, this piece was written because of the story of Shade. I, I just, I love the story of Shade. Funny enough, people have been asking me if Shade actually exists, right? I'm going to leave that for you to discover, <laughs> right? So to understand how the structures would function within an economic ecosystem, we'll be going on a journey with Shade who went to the market on a busy market day and noticed that a lot of students were at the market. But they were inconvenienced by the market and environment. They were upset with the prices they got, and they didn't know where to get the best products for their welfare needs. So she decides to provide a solution that aggregates the market women with the students through a shopping system of students she employs to help fulfill the orders of other students via e-commerce site called Shade Stop and Shop. So I gave a simple scenario here of a business case, right? A lot of students eat. There are a lot of students in every university. Those students eat. Those students like to go to the market or buy food. So imagine there's a Shade who saw this as a business opportunity and employs students. Oh, sorry. So as I, as, I, as, I, as, I, as I said, right, the business case should solve a local problem. So imagine Shade goes into the community of Ife and looks for young people who have dropped out of school or students who, who are um, young people who are looking for jobs and employs them as errand boys and errand girls. All they do is that they help students to go to the market. Imagine that. Now, she, created, she knows that students like to be hip, technology, and digital. So she creates what? A web-based solution where students can order for food, order for groceries, talk, um, type in what they want, right? And then she will have young people, either students or indigenous, fulfill those orders for the students. 
That is what this simple story, this simple story is about. But because she's smart, she understands that she's in the e-commerce sector. So she's like doing Jumia, but for going to the market. It's as simple as that. So she will employ local labor from the indigenous. She will make money from students and then she'll make students' life easier and better. So students can go to class and read their books without worrying of going to the market. As an amazing solution. In fact, I don't know if somebody steals this and does it, I'll be, I'll be proud of the person and I'll personally help the person develop this because it's a really exciting idea, right? So let's go into the article. We don't have so much time. Wow, we're already almost out of time. So as I said, um, we're going to use Sade's stop, shop, stop and Shop as a case study to understand this concept, right? So number one, in the educational structure. So in this matrix, education is designed to ignite vision that inspire deliberate action and not just overload with information and linear forms of assessments. It's not just cram, la cram, la pro, no. In this structure, systems are designed to inspire confidence and equip candidates to think creatively and critically to solve problems. So this education is achieved by four primary systems, which are what? Literature, media and entertainment, mentorship, and community exchange. In this case of Shade, Shade will need to learn how to build a business. She would need to access a resource bank of knowledge tailored to context. And this is very important, right? And this is a problem that we're experiencing in Africa, right? A lot of, as I said, narrative problem. A lot of Africans who are doing and building businesses don't tell us their stories. So the African business climate is different from the Europe, European climate or the Asian climate. The way we do business here is different. The needs and wants of customers here is different. You cannot treat people here the same way you treat them in the US or the UK. So we need our own what? Our own contextual knowledge, our own knowledge created in our own form and likeness, right? So we need people who have built businesses in our schools or built businesses in our schools that have become, you know, what has become to give us that knowledge base. How did you build? That's why I'm so excited about the next version of this online course where we'll be inviting people who abuse businesses in their schools to come and tell us how they do it. What are the practical tools you use? How did you survive building such amazing businesses even when there was no enabling structure in your school, right? So we need resource bank, that knowledge bank. You know, you know? So people like now, um, um, you know, like for my school, Jobberman, right? We should have a, a, a structure where the builders of Jobberman can share their knowledge of how they build Jobberman. So any other person trying to build something like that, a tech solution, can easily access that knowledge resource bank. Easily, right? Instead of going on YouTube and Udemy and Coursera. Right? So that is, that is, that is it. Please mute yourself, guys. Uluatobi Messi, please mute yourself. You were warned to do this. Sorry about that, guys. I don't know. People are not muting themselves, and it's very distracting. All right. Sorry about that. Um, yes. So back into the article, right? Um, this education... Okay. In the case of Shade, Shade will need to learn how to build a business. She will need access to a resource bank of knowledge tailored to context. She will need a fun way to access the information through watching movies about business and reading business magazines like Forbes. So every university should actually have their own magazine, where people can, you know, their own magazine, their own market research, their own um, market research, their own data, you know, and things like that, right? 
in their schools, you know, have read Forbes and all that. So she would need to be in a community. So she needs a community where she can validate her ideas and get them criticized. So remember the awakening of communities, right? So she needs that kind of thing. She needs startup grind. She needs the hot price community. She needs all those kind of communities where she can share ideas, right? And other brilliant people like her can say, oh, Shade, we like this idea, but we think this is how you can do it better. This is what we can do, it, right? In fact, they also now form the first market. So when Shade has taken all the things she has learned and used it to build the solutions, she doesn't need to look for how to launch. She can launch it with the community and they can say, oh, wow, Shade, we really like this, but we think you can do this, do this, change the color, change the font, all those kind of things, right? So she needs a community where she can validate her ideas and get them criticized. The community can also provide her a test market and even a team. So that same community can be where she'll be able to collaborate with other people, find team members, find people who can help her work on the idea. So that's the power of community. That's why we need communities across universities. It's a very major contributor to an enabling environment, right? We need those communities in every university for them to achieve this model. So that's the power of community, right? Then she would also need a network. She also need access to a network of mentors, right? Who have either done businesses in her school or have insight and an understanding of the business environment of what she's trying to do and can provide her leverage and can provide her leverage and access to the resources she won't normally be able to, to access. So for example, she was going into e-commerce business. She needs a network of mentors like Sim, Simdu Sagaya, who has built Conga, right? And understands the African marketplace for e-commerce. You know, she needs those kind of mentors, right? So, so like now, maybe someone wants to do something like what Andela is doing, but he wants to do it for community, for, for college, for students in university. So you need a network, right? That can give you access to people like in Yaboyeji, right? For you to be able to do that. Wow, time is fast spent, guys. I'm sorry, I, I need to rush through this, then I'll do a roundup. So the next structure is professional structure. In this matrix, Shade would need help with investor relations, understanding the risks of her business, evaluating the, the market size of the opportunity, and she needs to know who her customers are through some market research. While she's designing her business, she will need to validate her ideas and develop a business model plan, and later a business plan when she wants to grow. Shade will need a business support system that will be, asset, that will be accessed through a system of business consulting student enthusiasts like herself, who can apply their wits to a business case within the market. The money generation model for that market, so I actually need to explain that. So, like, students like me in, in, in school who are already excited about business, who are already exposed to business consulting, we needed platforms like that where we can help people like Shade. So she has a business, she doesn't know how to go about it. She needs professional services, business consulting services. There are students who are sharp enough and smart enough to help her develop a business plan, develop a strategic document, you know, and it's not going to be plenty work and it's not supposed to be costly because it's just tailored to the university environment and then the host environment. So in, in Obafemi Awolowo's university's case, it's supposed to just serve Obafemi Awolowo University and then IFE. Do you understand? So developing a business case for that and market research should not be a big deal. It's not be something that you are paying so much money for. That is why I talked about how do students now make money. So through this platform, the money generation model that makes this work is that the services will be affordable because the way you make profits in this environment is within, within the, um, with how you make money and profits in this environment is within the ecosystem that supports volume. What this was trying to say is, the, the model for this is that students have to work with what? A low price and make more money by doing more jobs. So for example, instead of charging 
100k or 50k per document you develop you charge 2k 5k because you know that every time you can get up to 10 20 or 50 students trying to what, start up a new idea so that is that is the business model under this kind of environment right so that's what i was saying there the next structure is the political structure the structure this structure refers to the unit that interfaces between the undergraduate community and the administration to develop policies and a constitution that creates an enabling environment for businesses like Shadi's. This structure also creates this kind of... So another thing that we need to talk about is we need to create our own taxing system and our own constitution. That is the, that is the job of the political structure. So we need to create all those political instruments to make sure that we have what control over that environment and it is enabling for entrepreneurship and value creation, right? So, um, you know, we need to, that's, in this structure, we'll talk about taxes and the rest. Because, of course, as like I said, we're building this with business instincts, right? So, I'm not, I'm not saying 